You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. It's episode 31 of Grow Yourself Up, and today I'm joined by Ali Pember. So Ali is a psychotherapist and a coach. She specializes in perinatal mental health and matrescence, which is the transition to motherhood. She works mainly with mothers, encouraging them to trust their own judgment in raising their children, with a strong emphasis on good enough parenting. Ali brings tools and perspectives from her background in cognitive psychology and mindful self-compassion to this work. She also situates individual distress within a social context, dismantling the guilt, shame, stress, and anxiety that is often a product of the perfect mother myth and other forms of social conditioning. Her main aims are to help you to realize that you're not alone, to help you make sense of your identity as a mother, and to help you focus on what really matters for your family, rather than what you think you should, in inverted commas, be doing. Ali's on social media as Good Enough Mamas, and the show notes for this episode, include um, all of Ali's details, where you can find her and the details of her um, latest offerings. She's going to be um, offering a group coaching course very soon. So um, follow her along on social media and um, see what she has to offer. Ali, tell me about your uh, journey into motherhood. It's an interesting question, Kath, and I have been thinking about it because I did not expect to be a mother. Okay. So motherhood came to me late and unexpectedly. So I was 40 when I had my daughter. And she was, and this is a very genuine thing to say, she was a very genuine accident. She was not planned. She wasn't a planned baby. So um, I think, you know, I suppose the stereotype of an older mum sometimes is that um, you've perhaps spent a large part of your life hoping and wishing and wanting to be a mother. Yes. Having even gone through uh, fertility treatment, um, you know, it, it it's such a cliche that that an older mother perhaps has taken a long time to get to that point because it's been tough to get to that point. 
And so sometimes that is what people will ask me, oh, you know, were you trying for a long time and that kind of thing. And, and I hand on heart to just say, no, I, I, I literally fell pregnant. There was absolutely no problem conceiving. It was just that in the whole of the preceding part of the fertile part of my life, I hadn't conceived. So I was landed in motherhood in a in a way that was completely unexpected to me and the the piece that I wanted to sort of bring to this episode really and talk about was how I had to almost convince myself that it was a good idea yeah wow <laughs> and how did you do that i mean was that was that because that's such an interesting perspective because i think you're really right about that older mother um kind of stereotype in some way because um i'm also an older mum I, I had my children when I was 40 and um, everyone assumes that I also went through fertility treatment because we've got twins. And so you get a lot of questions around that. And I also felt pregnant really easily and I got given twins. And so there's so much that's kind of projected onto you as an older mum. So, but I, I guess I was a bit different to what your story says because um, I really wanted to have children for a long, long time, but my circumstances didn't kind of, permitted really. Um, but tell me, how did you, um, how did you persuade yourself it was a good idea? Well, it was interesting because it wasn't just my, uh, choice, you know, in terms of I was in, I was in a relationship, uh, an established relationship. We'd been together for, oh gosh, five, six years. Um, when I met my partner, he had been quite clear with me that he didn't want children because he's got three grown up children from previous relationships. So I, I'd done so much work on myself to think about what I wanted from life that did not include children. Yeah. So I'd, I'd done a number of things that I thought would make life more fulfilling. Because I think part of the kind of narrative that we're, we're sold around motherhood is that, that certainly for a woman, that's kind of this idea that that is the thing that will make your life complete. Yes. Become a mum. Suddenly everything else is irrelevant up to that point. Um, you have this deep inner sense of contentment and, uh, bliss, you know, this kind of image that we're sold, I think, of, um, motherhood. Massive fantasy. Massive fantasy, which I'm sure we'll get into and unpick a little bit. And because I, I had that, you know, I've grown up in that, um, with that sort of societal idea of motherhood. I'd done an awful lot of work on myself to, to try and tick a lot of those contented and fulfilled boxes in other ways. So I had a corporate job, which I really, really didn't find fulfilling. I, I had been doing it for 15 years. Um, and it didn't meet my need to connect with and engage with people in a meaningful way. Yes. So I had a background in psychology and I think I've always been fascinated by uh, people's stories. And, in, and there is a helping thing in me as well. There is a desire to help, a desire to connect, a desire to hear people's stories and a desire to work with them therapeutically. So I had taken myself off and done psychotherapy training and gone through therapy myself. And a lot of that was about the relationship with my own mother, um, a lot of inner work. And I'd got to a place where I was fairly content with the fact that I didn't think I was going to have children. 
And actually the, 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 the therapy piece was almost about me expressing some of that nurturing desire in a different context, yes. you know, desire to, to nurture others, um, to in some ways parent them because, you know, a lot of what you're doing in the therapy space is offering those conditions of kind of, of helping someone to, well, grow themselves up. So it was just such a shock to me to find myself pregnant. What a huge shock. Wow. I burst into tears. Yeah. And it was a, they were happy tears. They were happy tears, but they were also massively overwhelmed tears because I had to unpick all of the things in my head and all of the things I'd been working on to say to myself that, that life is good without a child. I do not need a child to complete me. Yes. And now that was completely flipped on its head. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking about it now. And I, I took my lead from my partner to a certain extent. I went back to him and I told him and he was shocked, but his reaction was happy. Uh-huh. So we, we've, we found a way to make it work in our life because our life wasn't set up with the thought of uh, children coming along. So we'd moved down to Somerset and we'd bought a, uh, an auction property, which was a complete wreck of a house. It didn't have windows when we moved in. Wow. And that was the baby. Yes, exactly. That was going to be how you got fulfillment. That was going to be part of our kind of building a life together. Yeah. Um, And I looked around and I sort of thought, oh my goodness, there aren't really any places that are suitable for a, a baby and a small child there still aren't really and I still live on a building site um because it's just always work in progress but it it yeah we had not gone there with the intention of having a family so yeah massive curveball and then from that point forward really I had to kind of rewrite this whole narrative of what fulfillment contentment meant um and now as is fairly obvious from the work I do, the whole focus of my therapeutic work with people is around mothering, motherhood, parenting, parenthood. So it's also changed the work that I do and I no longer work in the corporate space. Yeah. So really, in some sense, changing your career has also been about uh, growing yourself up because you said you weren't very fulfilled in what you did in the corporate space. Do you find um, what you do now much more kind of in alignment with with kind of your soul, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I've found that through through being a mum myself. So, you know, it's not a lie to say that mothering um, doesn't provide you with that sort of deep inner fulfilment because I think that one of the reasons for the tears actually was that there was a recognition there on quite some quite deeply embodied level that I had been missing something yeah no matter how much I'd rationalized that it was just okay and it didn't matter that I was probably past being fertile and I was probably never going to have kids I think on some yeah, very deep level. There was just a relief and a release in that. It's like, my goodness, I, it's a, it's such a gift, yeah. such a gift for a little baby to land in my life at that point. Um, and she completely upended everything in mostly a positive way. 
And so she gave me the catalyst and the impetus to then quit my job. I went back. Um, this is totally cynical. I went back to get the maternity benefits. And then after six months of, of doing it, I just, it just had become increasingly apparent that this was not really the environment I wanted to be in. But I don't know if I would have been able to leave if I hadn't had my daughter because she gave me a reason to leave and go and do something else. Yes. So yeah, a combination of, of, of her and, and becoming a mum myself, but then changing my focus, changing my work to work with mothers has enormously enriched my life. That's so beautiful to hear, Ali. And do you think that we can talk like just a couple of minutes maybe about this idea that this idea that we are fed in society, that we need to tick certain boxes, we need to find someone to have children with, and then we need to have children, that this is like somehow the pinnacle of our existence. Um, Because I think that kind of um, projection of what it is to be an ideal woman causes so much damage because it is something we really aim for. And it's it's often such a kind of a crashing disappointment when we get there, but that acknowledgement comes with so much shame that somehow we're the ones who've like, mess this up somehow. And actually, I always think that we have to really examine a life without children. And I mean, I know that I'm, I'm in a very privileged position because I have got children, but that we really have to allow the examination of what does it look like when you don't have children? And that is also very beautiful. But then I hear how grateful you were. So there's so much complexity in that. What kind of comes up for you around that? Yeah, I know a huge amount of complexity because as well as the joy and as well as the unexpected tears of, I think, of relief and release, there was also a whole lot of, oh my goodness, what on earth am I, I going to do? Um, and then the, the territory of early motherhood, which is just, I sometimes describe it as like having a grenade thrown into your life. You know, so I had a a very well-ordered life up to the age of 40, you know, kind of I I was the the stereotypical good girl. I did tick all the boxes. Um, I hadn't ticked the box of meeting someone early enough to get married and have 2.4 children. So that kind of yeah image that we had, I definitely hadn't lived up to that one. But I ticked a lot of the other boxes academically, done really well. Um, then I'd had a, a successful career. Um, I hadn't actually, it's funny, I, I hadn't encountered prejudice much before I became a mum. You know, I think it's oh. that thing of where you're in that sort of environment, which actually as as a, a, a younger woman, um, I didn't perceive the glass ceiling in quite the same way. So oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, a, a lot of the, um, the barriers, I suppose, to then, uh, yeah, progressing in, in a, that kind of corporate environment are there because because you've got a child because you become a mum so you become a kind of different category of person yeah <laughs> did you notice that when you went back to work you know for the for the period after um your your daughter yeah and it was it wasn't long you know and I think I suppose I just sort of saw the writing on the wall a little bit which was that it was that um uh, the quote is, isn't it? You have to work as if you haven't got a child and have a child as if you haven't got work. You know, it's it's kind of because we're so blind to each part of our lives that there isn't true flexibility. No. Um, right. 
And so even when you work reduced hours, you're still expected to do the same amount of work typically within that period of time. Um, and it's very hard to juggle and balance those needs. And I th- I think because, because I came into motherhood late, because I hadn't expected to be a mum, I think I then did really raise the pressure on myself to be as perfect or as good a mum as I could possibly be. Yes. And that was massively incompatible with trying to have uh, a very high pressure uh, career. Yes. And even um, trying to put all that pressure on ourselves, I often think it's actually incompatible with having a baby in some ways. Yeah. You know, that- <laughs> incompatible with life, really, because, yeah. yeah, no, no one benefits from that. No. Yeah. And tell us more about that. How did you kind of... It, 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 I think because I had this idea still that, that motherhood was meant to be fulfilling. I, I had this vision of myself as some kind of earth mother, you know. So I, I really went in for the whole um, attachment parenting thing, um, gentle parenting, conscious parenting, intentional parenting. So all of these labels, all of these um, kinds of styles of parenting. And I've got a whole raft of books, many of which have never been touched or read but I would consume all this kind of information and that's even back kind of 10 years ago and now I think the amount of information out there has ramped up even more but because I I wanted this kind of template for how to be the absolute best mother I could be because I already had this quite high achieving thing going on so you know I'd got straight A's. I'd got my first class honours degree. I'd got my my high powered job. I'd done all of that. Right now I was going to be the absolute best mother I could possibly be. No matter how much of a surprise this had been, I decided to put my skills to work in that. And I'm I'm good at research. I'm good at planning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm good at taking on a lot. Uh, you know, that's served me well in the past, perhaps, although you could argue I haven't had that much fun along the way. Um, and I thought, right, okay, I'm going to be a really diligent, really diligent mother. And and the category I'm going to land myself in is is sort of attachment gentle mother, you know, so meeting my child's every single attachment need. So um, we co-slept, um, I breastfed her, um, up until the age of three, actually. So it's sort of that idea of extended breastfeeding. Um, I was very child led in my approach. You know, a lot of this was informed by stuff I was reading. And uh, yeah, I set myself this really, really high bar when it came to being present and attentive and loving and gentle. Yeah. And you can probably see where this is going because... <laughs> In setting myself that incredibly high bar to be loving and present and caring and attentive and gentle, inevitably life happens. Inevitably, I had all sorts of times when that simply wasn't possible. And so I felt a large amount of self-loathing within that. I really felt that I couldn't live up to those ideals, that expectation that I had. And there isn't much in the literature around gentle parenting or attachment parenting, which is about being gentle with yourself. No, there isn't. I think that it's funny listening to you because um, 
that was exactly the way that I approached motherhood and that, you know, I've had a good job. I've done well. Um, now I'm going to like do this, like the best I can. And I think that that's a lot of the story of my clients as well, that, um, we're going to kind of reverse engineer and, and kind of manage this. You and I actually both have a background in management consulting. I, I know we have that commonality. And so I think that I thought this was a project that I'm going to like manage the hell out of and it's going to be like a fantastic project. <laughs> and that's not what motherhood is. And I think you're so right about the literature about um, gentle parenting. There's a whole gap on what is actually the parent's experience. And also I think there's a gap on who are the people who actually come to this type of parenting. Um, and many of us who come to this parenting didn't get our needs met. So we're so emphatically wanting to do it absolutely perfectly for our children and I think that's where we kind of topple over yeah because it's completely unsustainable and it feeds a very negative cycle so um you know I know you, you talk a lot about sort of the shame in it but I, th I think there's a perception that you can have you, you look around you and often what you're seeing reflected back at you is other people's performances of parenting so it's not really what goes on behind closed doors but that you'll see you know the happy smiling mum in the park and you'll instantly project into that oh she seems to be handling it really well yes. you'll go on social media you'll see you know loads of accounts around um child-led play and incredible activities and um wonderfully nurturing um parents and and scripts you know scripts for how to interact with your child in moments when you're dysregulated and and then of course you become dysregulated and you forget the script so yes i think there's so much so much that just creates this kind of pressure to be and look and feel a certain way and then when you don't match up to that it fuels this kind of shame do you think well everyone else is doing this mm. I, i'm not i must be defective in some way yeah which is incredibly isolating because the minute you start to feel those sorts of feelings you cut yourself off from seeking support because to to admit you need a bit of help is is to admit that you're failing and instead, what you do, and certainly what I did, was you raise the bar even higher. So you go to bed at night and you think, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow I'll have it together. Tomorrow I will not lose my rag. Tomorrow I will have prepared the snack pots perfectly. <laughs> um, tomorrow I'll get to the session on time. Tomorrow I won't be stuck in traffic and um, firing off loads of passive aggression at my child and my partner. Tomorrow, I'll be a different person. And of course, tomorrow comes and I'm not a different person. No. And I get stuck in this kind of pit of self-loathing. Yeah. So, yeah, not a good place to be. I think those early years of motherhood, I, I did find really, really hard. Oh, it is so hard. I really resonate with what you say about that. Like it all kind of goes into the bucket of tomorrow, I'll try harder. And by my trying, something will change. And in many ways, what we have to do is exactly the opposite of just be more gentle with ourselves and with our child. But tell us, how did you, because um, I think this is how you kind of have grown yourself up, how did you dig yourself out of that um, pit of self-loathing, um, and to use your, your words, and to and to kind of get yourself in? Because I think your, your Instagram handle, Good Enough Mamas, is really 
um, like, like, or you're leading by example with with that name about what we what we can aim for. So, how did you kind of traverse that place from the pit of self-loathing where you thought you had to get everything perfect to the place of like I'm good enough for my lovely daughter? Mm. I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror, um, the actual physical mirror. You know, so there's kind of all sorts of mirrors that are held back up to us, aren't there? But I caught a glimpse of myself one day, and I'd been crying and I just looked really wretched and sad. And I think because you can, when you observe yourself, you're not even necessarily aware sometimes that you're stuck in that sort of state and it had become a bit of a cycle. Yeah. I think seeing myself, I, I just remember there was a little surge of something from somewhere in me of compassion, which sort of said to me, you're treating yourself to the, the, so badly here. Yeah. You know, I really did not feel good enough. And and something in me connected back probably with my previous learning around psychology, therapy, providing conditions for growth. So just basic therapeutic concepts of unconditional positive regards yeah. and creating a space for someone else which I was very good at creating for other people Mm. seeing myself in the mirror was this strange moment of almost like me popping up as somebody else and then thinking I'm not really providing that for myself yeah and I mean it, it wasn't quite as um television worthy as that you know in terms of then how that played out in my life it's not as if bam, that happened. And then suddenly I was abracadabra, all changed. Yes. You know, I had this kind of revelation, you know, life again is messy, two steps forward, one step back. But I think it was a little insight, which is I really kind of got to that rock bottom place where my inner voice was so critical that, that really I couldn't do anything right. And so I started to delve back into the practices that I had used to support others in my work before I'd become a mum. And I also um, worked very much with mindfulness and self-compassion. Okay. I have a a kind of background in that as well. I have a, a mindfulness practice. And the bit that had always been missing from that really was the self-compassion piece. So, I guess I use my skill set, which is I tend to take myself on trainings and (laughs) I tend to read up stuff if I'm stuck. But this was more about putting things into practice. Yeah. So to try and change that inner critical voice to one that was uh, more kindly. Yes. And hold that gentle parenting piece around the, the the place to start actually was by being gentle with myself because then it just flowed the more I could be compassionate towards my own experience then the more I was able to be that present available loving connected parent that I wanted to be yes yes exactly and I think that's such an important um piece for all the listeners to hear that um beating ourselves up and criticizing ourselves doesn't get us to be the parent that we want to be. But for many of us, letting go of the inner critic feels, or even becoming aware that the inner critic is there, it's so strange to to be kind to, to ourselves because perhaps no one's ever done that. 
but also it feels like it's a step away from what's kept us safe in terms of um, kind of perfectionism. And so can you tell us what are some of the things like, um, like what, how did you kind of practically do that um, in terms of the ways you dealt with your daughter and how you kind of parented yourself um, mm. once you kind of um, started to take more of those forward steps around self-kindness and self-compassion? The way I always describe it to people, and I think this is what happened in, in my own life really, was that it, it's a, it's self-compassion is like a muscle that you have to exercise. Yeah. And so it, it's, a, it's a learned skill. It's not like you yeah, suddenly wake up one morning and the inner critic isn't there. Um, and yeah, as you quite rightly say, Kath, the inner critic serves a really valuable function. It's 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 a very protective thing, you know, and it it carries on being that actually. Mm. It's just developing a bit more of a, a kindly way of relating. And I think if you're also struggling to find any time I've struggled to find compassion for myself, I try and find compassion for that. Yes. Because there are some times when I simply cannot access that softness, that openness of being. You know, I am run ragged. I am really overwhelmed. I am in a massively stressed, overtaxed, overburdened place. I can try and apply apply self-compassion, but often it just slides off like the proverbial water off a duck's back. Um, So it's, it's knowing that you're not going to necessarily get it right in every moment, but that when you do have opportunities to reflect so often, you know, I, I, I will do something I regret with my daughter, you know, I'll kind of um, react harshly in the moment and then feel terrible about mm. that afterwards. And I will do the repair piece with her. I will apologize for how I've been. But the bit I've learned to do is that it's absolutely vital to do the repair piece with myself. Yeah. And there's no point me apologizing to her and, you know, trying to to be better and do it differently next time unless I've done that additional step of being tender around the fact that I reacted, which was probably just because I was massively stressed and overburdened, or perhaps because I was triggered by something she was doing because of an unmet need or because that wasn't modelled to me in my childhood or whatever. And the, um, I think that, that piece around the like soothing ourselves and developing a better relationship with ourselves is the absolutely crucial bit because we can't do, like we can't, break cycles in our family and be all compassionate and kind and loving and um, do rupture, like repair after rupture with our kids. If we're not doing that with all the different parts of ourselves too. And so that's why I always, Mm. I always sort of say to my clients and to everyone actually, that everything that we learn to do for ourselves or every bit of kindness that we want to extend to our children also needs to be extended to ourselves. Exactly, because otherwise it's quite hollow, really, and it's coming from a place uh, where you are quite likely to burn out from that. Um, you know, if you're constantly, as many mothers particularly are, I mean, parents, but but I, you know, I work mainly with mothers. There's they're so often giving and caring about others that they they really negate their own needs. And I know it's such a cliche, that idea of self-care for mums and people sort of say, well, that's just another thing on my to-do list. I can't do that. Um, but it, it's just fundamental because you cannot, you, you can't 
provide those conditions of love and care and kindness and attention unless you've left a little bit in in there for yourself. Absolutely, Ali, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the crux of the whole thing. And how do you, because I guess the way I frame it is that part of growing ourselves up, the most important thing actually is that we become aware of our needs and we meet them. But for many of us, uh, we it's almost like our needs are illegitimate or they kind of split off entirely. And so you have to do a process of kind of even investigating what they are. How were you with your needs and um, how did you kind of begin to meet them? I think you're right. I think you don't even recognize you've got needs sometimes at, at the, the point that it arises. I did some stuff which was taking myself away from um, being a mum in order to get the space to turn back towards myself, which at the time felt enormously scary to do. Um, my daughter was around two um, and I was still feeding her, still breastfeeding at the time. I took myself off on a yoga retreat. Oh, wonderful. Which sounds, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was wonderful. But huge barriers around that, you know, and, and it, it's interesting when I've talked to people about it, they sort of, I get sometimes not entirely positive uh, feedback. In fact, from the other women on that retreat, they, they were incredibly surprised that I had left my two-year-old oh, wow. with my partner. You know, I mean, acknowledge the privilege to be able to do that. I know that a lot of people can't, simply don't have the ability to just go off for a week. But I'd reached that kind of point where I felt I needed to turn back towards who I was before I became a mum. And as you say, to be able to sort of identify, well, what is it I do actually need? Because in the thick of kind of particularly early parenting, you haven't got a minute to stop. You can't yeah. even go to the bathroom, the shower. Your basic needs are often not being met. So I had to create, I think I think it was almost like a survival thing. I think I knew I had to create some space. Yes. I did. And I was quite ruthless about it, actually, in that sense. And it was interesting that the feedback I then got from other, you know, women around me on that uh, retreat and and subsequent, you know, if I've ever said anything about that, people as this sort of sharp intake of breath. What, you know, she was only, I think she was between 18 months and two. She was just coming up for two. Um, you went away for a whole week. And my response to that is yes. And it yes. was life-saving. And would my partner have received anywhere near the amount of comment, judgment, criticism? Had he gone away for a week to do something for himself? No, of course he wouldn't have done. No. And there's a lot in that, isn't there, around what the expectation is on us as mothers and the expectations we place on ourselves. And I think just having that space, a bit like seeing myself reflected back to myself in the mirror, just gave me the opportunity to begin to put in place and to begin to identify the fact that I had, I still yes. had needs. And I, I really love that yoga story because I think that you're right. There's so much, there's so much inequity in terms of what's the rules, the rules that are applied to, um, to mothers and the rules that are applied to fathers and how, um, they're much harsher for, for mothers. 
and also then how we kind of internalize that. And so, like, I hope some listener feels inspired by that to think, I can do that too. I can also um, book a break. Um, and I mean, the th- interesting thing about that is that the, your partner was entirely capable of looking after your daughter. I understand there was the breastfeeding sort of, it's like probably complication, but, you know, it, you, you, you weren't going to leave the two-year-old by herself. You left her with her other parent. Yeah, absolutely. And actually from that point forward, um, they have a brilliant relationship and the other thing I didn't do, and this was quite a conscious thing at the time as well, I, I didn't leave lists. I didn't leave, you know, this is nap time. This is what she'll eat. Here are her clothes. Yes. I just left, which is quite radical. Well, you didn't try and control him, actually. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, there probably is quite a, a kind of, yeah, there's a, a kind of radical part of that. And I think it's also, yeah, acknowledging that he is... Uh, yeah, yeah, more than capable of figuring it out. And I, I was in Spain. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't yeah. just get me to come back. I, I took myself on a plane. I, I physically vacated the country. Um, so, you know, I, I sometimes I say this stuff to be a little bit provocative and, and, you know, the pushback I'll often get from people I work with is, well, that's just not possible for me. It's not possible for me financially. It's not possible for me practically or I'm solo yeah. parenting or whatever. But then my gentle challenge back to them is always, okay, fully accept that, you know, enormous privilege to be able to to take a week out of my life. But can you take more than the five minutes that you're trying to escape to the bathroom? Is there any way that you can build a little bit of a buffer between you and that constant caregiving presence that you're providing so that you can pause, take stock, just finish a cup of tea before it gets cold. Build those things into your life, into your day, into your week in some way that makes parenting more sustainable. And I think that's a beautiful thing for all the listeners to ponder about how can you build in a buffer? Um, Because building in those buffers, like in your week, across your week and each day and even each hour, that's how we widen our window of tolerance essentially so that we can actually deal with the challenges of parenting and not just widening our window of tolerance so that we can sit with the challenge, but also so that we can have more joy and allow ourselves to feel safe in more situations. So I think like really to ponder on that question for everyone about um, a buffer, um, you know, kind of, and to, to, to acknowledge your own importance. And Ali, um, before we close, I wanted to ask you something about expectations. What expectations have you let go of um, around both yourself and your child to kind of make things more, um, so that you can kind of bring in more enjoyment in your role as a parent and with your daughter? I think I've let go of the expectation of getting anything right. Um, yeah, I had this list of rules that f- were part of these different parenting approaches that I, I first tried to adhere to. And in many ways, a lot of those guide rails and principles I will stand by. You know, I, I actually think it is important to be uh, as present and attentive uh, and child-led as I can be. But I've let go of the expectation that I can be that person yeah. all of the time. 
And I've also let go of the the kind of taking myself so seriously in it all. I mean, I, 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 you know, as you said earlier on, Kath, I think like motherhood was this project. It was a project that, you know, I thought I had to do to the perfect uh, standard for it to be right. And actually so much of the joy of my relationship with my daughter is in the messy, imperfect stuff. It's, it's when I decide I, I can't be bothered to cook. And so we go and get fish and chips and she loves that. She loves the things. And I love the things that are kind of forbidden and silly and messy. And yeah, my my house is trashed. So, you know, (laughs) I also had quite high standards around that. If you'd come around and seen my kind of pre-child life and now my post-child life is completely (laughs) unrecognisable. Let go of standards in that area completely. You know, when people share those kinds of uh, sort of before and after pictures or they share that sort of like, oh, look at my mess. And I'm like, well, don't come around at my house because my mess really is in another league. (laughs) Um, So I've let go of those kinds of expectations, the kind of expectations of homemaker that kind of come along with a big baggage of motherhood. You know, motherhood does not have to equal being homemaker um and instead it's prioritizing the fun yeah just the the kind of spontaneous moments of joy staying up beyond bedtime and eating ice cream on the sofa whilst watching crappy tv with your child yeah it's okay and that will be the stuff that she remembers those kind of beautiful moments of connection yeah and i think now at the age of 10 I'm beginning to um, see the benefit of being more relaxed. Yes, I so agree. I've now got a relationship where there's um, dialogue and input and a lot of humour, actually. Um, And, you know, I I really hope that continues into the teenage years as well. Um, But, yeah, that foundation that I laid, I suppose, of, of... well, the foundation of perhaps not having so rigid a foundation as I thought I needed. Yes. Of cutting myself more slack. And I think what you're talking to is actually the nature of relationship about how it kind of ebbs and flows and that it's the connection that glues you together. And the connection is, it's a real connection. It's a messy, real connection. And that's where we get seen rather than this like, you need to be like this, you need to be like this, and you need to be like that, because that kind of brittleness and perfection um, of our expectations about ourselves and of our children just mean things break all over the place. And I love the way you described how, you know, you're sitting on the sofa and um, and you're doing all the things that actually are fun, that, that make bring joy, and that bond us to, together closer than when we're having all these scripts about how we're supposed to be interacting and I guess one thing just to yeah. say for a bunch of listeners who've got young children, it's often not possible to do this quite yet because um, having young children, you can't have that many conversations with them around. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's, you've got like a, a t- like a, a young tween, I guess. Um, so, so that's coming because I'm, I'm behind you in terms of that. So I don't have quite um, what you have yet. But um, it's it's hopeful and exciting listening to you. 
Yeah, it, just that sense of hang in there because the, the challenges don't necessarily go away. They change. You know, you've, you've got a whole heap of other challenges with a tween than you had with a toddler. But I think if you've built the foundation of authentic relating, because what you're talking yes. to is authenticity, it's it's about showing the kind of the messy parts of yourself. You, you uh, Apologising when you mess up. It's not about yes. never messing up. And... And now what I find fascinating with a child that I have modeled that to, she picks me up on stuff now, but she'll also be very tender towards me. So, you know, sometimes she'll say to me things like, um, um, let, let me, let me be angry, mummy, because you're always saying that, you know, it's, it's okay to be angry. So she, she broke something that she really liked the other day and she got really fed up and, um, it went on and on and on. And I was like, oh, you know, can you stop? Can you just stop getting, you know, let's calm down, let's calm down. And she's like, no, I'm not going to calm down. I really love these lights that were up in my bedroom. They're not working. You're always telling me that I should be able to express my anger. So I am I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> I love that. I'm like, yes. Yes, you're quite right. And then other times as well, when she can see that I'm struggling with something, maybe I've become very tight and snappy. My voice goes. I, I get what she describes as she says, Mummy, you're not using your soft voice. Yeah. And I start to get a bit clipped and a bit tight. And she will just do something very tender, like come up and give me a cuddle. Oh, bless her. Such a sweetheart. So yeah. it's this kind of, it becomes a, yeah, a much more genuine way of relating to each other. Yes. So it's not like she's trying to keep it all in. It's not like I'm trying to keep it all in. It's there. We're in this messy business called life. I respect her. She respects me. Um, and there's a lot of love and joy and connection there. And a lot of difficult moments as well. But we don't we don't shy away from the difficult stuff. Yes. And I think that that's one of the most important things to learn is that the difficult stuff doesn't mean anything about us and shining a light on the difficult stuff um, is actually what helps it get kind of alchemized. Um, and I think you've really shone a, like a beautiful light on that. Um, Ali, is there anything else you'd like to, any other little pearl of wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners um, before we um, close for today? It's been so wonderful having you here. And um, I know that everyone is going to love hearing the realness of this conversation. And also um, what you've spoken to, some of these themes are so um, prevalent. So I hope that as you listen to this, you can really feel like much lighter actually after listening to Ali from this conversation and kind of just breathe out and kind of think you're doing well and you're doing okay. And that's, that's great. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Yeah, no problem, Kath. I mean, and, and to, to follow what you're saying there really is just that sense that I think if you care so very deeply about getting it right, which so many mums, so many parents I work with do, yeah. the chances are that you are getting a huge amount of it right. Yes. And if you, if you didn't care, <laughs> you, you know, you you wouldn't be thinking these thoughts. You wouldn't have this degree of sort of introspection around, oh, what could I do differently? What could yeah. I do better? So 
it's great to cultivate that kind of ability to reflect on your own parenting, but not to the extent that it becomes um, really critical and damaging and stops you from just enjoying being with your child. So if you find that you're constantly reaching, you know, for your notes on what the best script is for this scenario, tune back in with your own physical body, take a couple of breaths, come back to a moment of tenderness for yourself. And then that usually means that the rest of your interaction is going to be coming from a more positive place or a softer place. Try and access the softness for yourself before you then interact with your child. Yeah, exactly. And we both put our hands on our own hearts. Yeah, exactly. We need to do that for ourselves. So, so, so important. And that that underpins absolutely everything that I do. Self-compassion. Um, which can be incredibly hard for people to access, as we said right early on in this conversation, if they've never had it modelled to them. So it's something you have to just work at. Yes. And it's something that builds up over time. It's a skill. You can learn it. But far better to focus on that than to buy, A, another parenting book. Okay. Thank you so much. It's been really beautiful to be in conversation with you today. And um, I know the listeners are going to love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cass. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Music.